and on with the show. March 15th, 2020. It has been one weird week. Here's some stories of note. Missouri just reported its fifth positive coronavirus case. There's been 127 cases tested for the COVID-19 virus. You know it's a thing when they got to shorten it down so that you can refer back to it. Apparently, President Trump does not have the coronavirus. He was tested. Insert inappropriate joke either way here. Nationally, let's recap. First, the NBA stepped up and said we're suspending the season. Then the NHL followed. They canceled March Madness. Major League Baseball, for whatever reason, took a while, but then fell in line and suspended spring training. The Masters has been rescheduled. Of other sports teams, I know it's not a big deal, but I did feel a little bit uh, locally for the Umsel Rivermen, slash that, Umsel Tritons. They had like their best season in two decades. When their conference will not be able to move on to postseason. Staying local, Wash U has suspended their classes. Everything's going to be online for a while. Bayer had a shutdown after a reported positive case. Ends up that case was not positive. Then they reopened. Schnooks is closing their doors around 10 o'clock nightly. Illinois casinos are shut down for two weeks. Missouri casinos cannot have groups of more than 250 people at one place at one time. Man, if you're a mom and pop restaurant right now, I don't, I hope everything works out. You got to do what's good for the greater good, but it's got to be tough on those restaurants. To get a chance, guys, order online, buy guest certificates, do something. This will also be the year there was no St. Patrick's Day parade in Dogtown. I don't know about you, I love St. Patrick's Day. My mom's name is Tierney. The joke in our family is that it was her mom that was Irish. My grandfather was a butcher, not a big fan of cabbage, but loves St. Patrick's Day. I've had some great you know, memories of the day. I actually have an uncle. He's got a duplex in Dogtown on Victoria. And in his lease, it is written in legal that if you sign that lease, he gets to use that, that duplex for the morning, afternoon, and evening of St. Patrick's Day, which was great for me because I had a big lawn, lots of parking spaces. It was one of the only ways you know, I knew for sure I'd actually find a spot. But this year... No parade. Unlike the classic year without a Santa Claus, no Mrs. Claus, no jingle, jingle to the rescue. Nationally, Nike is closing all of its stores in the United States, but they are staying open in China. It's interesting to think about. Another big week for Joe Biden. Super Tuesday, Sweat Michigan, Missouri. Looks like it's his to lose. (laughs) In regards to Trump, did you see his big press conference where he declared that the United States could not travel for the next month to any place in Europe other than the UK and Ireland. Now think about this. What's the one thing that the UK and Ireland have in common? They have Trump hotels there. It took about three days and uh, he, he saw the error in his ways. I guess he did not get the three day bump he was expecting. So to bring it on home, as of March 15th, 2020, in the United States, there have been 1,000 positive cases and 30 deaths reported. Worldwide, 120,000 cases and counting. 
on to better and more fun things. Today's episode with the Emos. Margie Emo sat down with a couple of her folks, had a great time. You're going to notice that the quality of the audio isn't quite what we've done so far. And, and moving forward, what you're going to hear kind of sounds more like anything else, like I did it over the phone. Long story short, I am not tech savvy. I have learned a lot about how to properly record podcasts. I've had some help. This episode itself is fine. It's just like I interviewed him on the radio, but it's not going to sound as crystal clear as the other two and the ones moving forward. But a lot of good stuff. We talk about why Provel, why the Thin Crust, how they evolved into the great St. Louis iconic restaurant chain that they are, pizza chain, if you will, and all the blood, sweat, and tears that went into it. Recapping, the three voices you're going to hear are Matriarch Margie Emo, also longtime marketing consultant Ed Musen, and the current director of marketing at Emo's, Nick Polank. So sit back, get comfortable, and let's find out how Emo's became Emo's. Go to Overtime. Overtime with Oliver, with my dad. Tell your friends. can't really do a podcast that talks about St. Louis without doing one about emo. So thanks for everybody's time. And we were talking in the lobby. It was Brown and Crouppen and the Jerome Bettis show. I think was the last time we did some work together. It's possible, but I did uh, Brown and Crouppen way before that. We were the first people to put him on the air. I think we did work for him for about six, seven years, but I've worked for the emo family for over 30 years. So you started about 30 years ago? <laughs> Actually, more than that. <laughs> Actually, that'd be truthful. That was our first. Yeah. What What happened was, uh, I think we started it in about the early 70s, maybe. And uh, then Ed and I got in a fight. <laughs> and I didn't do work for the company for about 8, 10 years. And then after that, it's been about 25, 30 years. It's been, so 30, I guess, it's been 30 years. So I guess all total, more like about close to 40. Who is Lena? Lena? Sure. Lena is, uh, was my mother-in-law. When we decided to start uh, this frozen pizza business, we decided we would call it Lena's. So Marge Emo, where were you born and raised? I was born in St. Louis, Missouri. I was raised in the Dogtown area of St. Louis. And what did your mom and dad do? My dad was a teamster. He worked for Seal Test Dairy, which is no longer in existence. Um, but uh, he was he was proud teamster. Uh, loved Jimmy Hoffa. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, my mother was housewife. And periodically, she would have different jobs. She worked at the old St. John's Hospital at the nursing school for many years. And she was real proud of that, her career there. But uh, mainly, I would say she was a housewife. Any brothers and sisters? I had a brother and uh, a sister. And what do they do? Uh, at the moment, uh, my brother's deceased and my sister is a, a retired nurse. Hmm. Where did we meet Mr. Emo? We met Mr. Emo uh, at a blind date. My best friend, Estelle, was dating Ed's best friend, Finn. And they introduced us when Ed got out of the service shortly after that marriage. How did he propose? I don't remember <laughs> <all of> that. <laughs> Actually, we just decided to get married. <laughs> and how long were you married before 
Uh, we were we were married in 1960. So 1964. I'm sorry, we were married in 1961. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in 1964, then we started. And that was on uh, Thurman and Shaw. Our first location was on Thurman and Shaw in, in South St. Louis. And we'll go to that, but this is something that I researched and was like, oh, probably didn't have anything to do with it. But when you look at when Pizza Hut started and Domino started and, and I think Little Caesars, it's all in the late 50s or early 60s. That, that yeah. hit your radar at all? No, not so. at all. Um, actually, it, pizza wasn't that big at that time. Pizza was mainly sold through restaurants. Uh, Domino's, I don't even think Domino's was in St. Louis at that time when we opened. And I'm not sure of Pizza Hut, but uh, uh, at, at that time, you know, Domino's started right at the same time we did, but they were in Detroit. And uh, so they weren't a factor. So the story is that you're practicing Catholics. Yes. And on Fridays, you can't have meat. Right. And what was the restaurant that you were ordering the pizzas from? Uh, there were a number of restaurants on the hill. We lived on the hill. And uh, there were uh, there was a restaurant called El Vesuvio's. It was Pagliacci's was close by. Isla Capri. They were Italian neighborhood restaurants. And uh, people would get uh, pizza carried out. You, know, you, you could eat in or you could carry out. But you couldn't get it delivered. Oh, no. Nobody was delivering it. So my question now is two things. Good for you being up Friday at 11.30 at night on a consistent basis. <laughs> and second of all, holding your ground and wanting sausage and not going just veggies at 10 o'clock. At that time, I don't think that was an option. I think anybody would have even thought of eating a veggie pizza. You ate sausage or pepperoni pizza. So Emma's was the first pizzeria in St. Louis and the first one no, that delivered. No, I didn't say we were the first pizzeria. We were the first to just, oh, we only sold pizza. When we opened up, we sold pizza, gotcha. carry out and delivery. At that time, every if anybody sold pizza, it was a restaurant. The, the, we, key, the key was you were the first to deliver. Yes, we were the first to deliver pizza. We opened up the store and we delivered. And it was a it was a brand new concept at that time. People could not believe for a quarter we would bring them a pizza. Nice. That's what we charged twenty five cents. And if the interwebs are correct, uh, first store about five hundred bucks, give or take. Oh no, no, it would, no, no, much more. Fifteen hundred dollars. We we had saved from the time we were married. Uh, we, we managed to put aside uh, fifteen hundred dollars, and we opened our first store. With that. And the monthly rate was forty dollars a month. Yes. For eight hundred square feet. It it was about six hundred. <laughs> <laughs> so people... Right at first, and then uh, after a few months, we were able to rent the. Uh, uh, the little storefront next door. How long before Ed quit the job that he had and went full-time with Emos? About six months. Wow, that's pretty fast. Yeah, it was. And then I've seen in some other interviews that you did that your hope was just to be able to afford your house. To afford a house. And so how long we, did you... We were living in a very, I mean, it wasn't unusual. We lived in a three-room house on the hill, and um, we paid $65 a month rent. And we wanted to save enough money to have a down payment for our house. And how long did that take? That just took about a year, I think a year. It's fast. It was fast. We worked hard.
Uh, any children at the time? Yes, we had two children at the time. So when you fast forward, in my mind, business is always in cycles of five. So we're started in 64. Let's fast forward to 69. It's not very common at that time that women are running businesses and as involved as you were at the time. Well, uh, we, we opened together. Right. Ed and I opened together. Uh, it was Ed's idea to do it, and but we did it together. And um, it was it was kind of necessary. You know, there there had to be two of us. Right. We we were fortunate. I had a very nice mother-in-law, a very nice mother, and both of them were working at the time. But in the evening, we were recognizing we were only open in the evening. They would help us out with our children. I, I, my sister would babysit, and uh, um, we so we we did it. We worked it together and. At first, Ed did his job, and then, then uh, I would go open the store, and then he'd come down as soon as you know he was able to take charge, eat a little something, come down and work. And we did that for quite a while, and, uh, until I got pregnant with another kid. <laughs> and then, then uh, uh, I worked most of, most of that time. Then, but then after the third child, I kind of eased off for a while, and Ed just Ed just went. And you have six children? We have six. Okay. Mm -hmm. The other thing that was interesting is you wouldn't think about it today, but at that time there were a lot of people who almost felt like it was their duty to cook their own meals and to have somebody else be doing the cooking for them. There was a not a backlash, but that might have been a problem. No, it was it, the, the culture was different at, at the time when we opened. Uh, for instance, we weren't open for lunch. Right. Uh, you didn't. If people went out for lunch, it was like the so-called martini lunch or something. <laughs> uh, just just the executives went out for lunch. People Back when we had trade, right? <laughs> you know, one interesting thing, I, I don't know if you saw it uh, or was it in the web, on their website, is their first cash register was a tackle box. Nice. <laughs> Keep that organized. <laughs> well, we... It was fifteen hundred dollars. <laughs> we had to open. You know, we had needed equipment. We needed ovens. And so delivery was twenty five cents. Yes, we charged twenty. And I hope that they got tipped twenty five cents. I don't. I would imagine people tipped, but you know, everything was so new. Right. That I I don't know that people even assumed that they did that. I I don't know. It was just a, a totally different culture. How how far around did you deliver? Do you remember? Uh, we well, at first we would deliver anybody called us. Wow. <laughs> we were just so happy for the phone calls, uh, but it, you know, probably within a mile radius was was usual. You know, we we just started passing out flyers because nobody nobody knew what we were doing, so we just passed out flyers, and and then people started realizing. Oh, I can get a pizza delivered, and they like the first the marketing idea. tech. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. combat grill marketing. Well, always works. Pretty much what, what it was, but uh, to go back to the difference in the culture, we truly we we were open a couple of years before we ever opened for lunch. Uh, that just wasn't something that was done. People brown bagged it. Um, they had cafeterias and office buildings, uh, but the idea of just going out for lunch wasn't. It just wasn't the way it was done, you know. So how long did it take before delivery cut on? Oh, delivery cut on right away. Right away. Uh, yeah. People liked the idea. How many drivers did you have to have? Well, at first, well, of course, we started with one. Then then uh, it, it got to the point where 
Ed, my husband Ed, who was making pizzas, would, would have to run out and, and deliver also, besides the delivery person that we had. And um, so then you real, begin to realize, oh, me too, you know. And then then uh, the phone rings and rings, and after I said, gosh, we need two lines. Uh, this is pretty exciting, you know. <laughs> and, and then it was, oh, we need another pizza maker, you know. And we just slowly grew like that. Uh, and then people started requesting um, us to deliver far out of our territory, and we started realizing, wow, maybe we could open another location. So we had uh, our good friends that I mentioned, Ben and Estelle, who had actually introduced us. Uh, they were also our first partners. Nice. And, so we and where was the second one? 3210 California. Did you guys have to drive back and forth from the stores a lot, or did you have a manager well, we, by then? Or? We trained uh, Ben and Estelle uh, in our store, and then, yeah, then the first few months, we would, we all worked the stores. And, yeah, it was fun. I remember growing up, I had a friend, <clears throat> they owned Barnaby's down in Westport, and we, I, used to love to sleep over there because we had Barnaby's pizza in the morning, whenever we wanted uh, were you the hot spot for the sleepover? I don't know. That. I don't know <laughs> the answer to that. <laughs> that I I don't know the answer to that. And and, and you talk about Westport. That was long after we opened. Right. That was long after we opened. So let's talk a little bit about the marketing because at that time, was it only coupons or were you still branding or how did that work? I didn't get involved. There was about eight stores. Okay. And my objective was was to get the name out because they were only known really in South St. Louis. So the first thing we did was a campaign on radio, on radio that was all about the name. Is the name Emos? Is it Imos? You know, is it Emos? Imos? Who knows? You yeah, know. I think I'm that was the first campaign. Mm -hmm. And uh, people still talk. They about still it. talk about it, and uh, it worked. So we kept doing more radio. Then it about, it kept getting more stores, and then eventually about the TV. Well, we did something very outlandish then, too, but that was five, six years later, perhaps. I don't remember. We made up this guy called Bob King with 10-second commercials, where the spot would end before it was supposed to end. So he was, that's why he was the king. <laughs> he couldn't figure out the end of the spot, like, ask for my favorite sausage, and the spot would end. <laughs> and... Knock on wood, it actually won us an Emmy Award for it, hmm. and, and uh, it took it to the next step. There's a story, Rolling Stones, Keith Richards, asleep at night with a cassette tip, you know, deck next to his nightstand, gets up half asleep, starts brown sugar, falls back asleep. How did you come up with Square Beyond Compare? Oh, man, you know what? I don't even remember. It was, uh, it was a group effort where I think it was... Not mistaken, it was the early stages of my when I was a partner at Cupper, and we were in a creative meeting together, and just evolved out of that. But then I presented it to Marge and go with it. <laughs> you know, it was just perfect. Right, so here's my funny story for you. My sister-in-law is on a plane from St. Louis to Detroit. My brother is traveling from St. Louis to Detroit often, and with him he's bringing half-baked emo pizzas. On the plane, 
to Michigan. She's sitting next to an emo, of which she cannot remember who it was. And they're telling the story about how Michael comes from St. Louis with Emo's Pizzas to Michigan. It is two months later that Emo's airs a commercial about a guy who leaves for pizza. His wife's waiting for him. It takes him like a day to come back. And he says, I went to Emo's to get the pizza. Yeah, that was one so thing. You owe my brother royalties. Is what I'm <laughs> really? Michael Oliver. And it was Kelly who was on the trip. I have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> Play the fit. That was a that was a great. Campaign. Yeah, we we had four spots. We did. We actually did them in Orlando, Florida, and uh, the the best one out of that group though is the kid who takes the pizza out of the refrigerator. Yeah. And, and he substitutes a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and cuts it in squares. <laughs> so we always had. We always felt in our commercials that it, because pizza is fun, that there should be a fun aspect. Well, what was interesting around that time was when the Rams won the Super Bowl. And we did one there, too. So I'm in Salt Lake City. I've got 12 new old pizzas and toasted raviolis. And so Michael's in Detroit doing the same thing. Anybody know, Nick, do you know how much volume percentage-wise or just ballpark on stuff that's getting delivered out of state? Uh, weekly, we ship anywhere between 100 and 200 packages. Uh so I would say on average, 150 packages a week we ship out. And we've shipped to all 50 states. Christmas time is obviously our biggest time of year. So like I said, on average, 150 packages go out. Christmas time, we'll do like 700 packages uh, the week prior to Christmas. So it's been growing every year, maybe about 25% growth every year as far as total sales for just the shipping. Right. So it's incredible to see how many people uh, out there across the United States love Emos and have it shipped. Right now, 2020, tons of different ways to buy the pizza. Online is important to anybody I talk to. How important is it for Emos to have those people going online and, and ordering their pizza? It's super important. I mean, that's where everything's going these days. Everyone's on their mobile devices and ordering right away on their apps and all that. So it's definitely a priority for us, and we, we're seeing that increasing every year. So right now we're about 36%. Uh, total orders is online. Is there a goal? Um, no goal, but we just expect it to grow. That's what we're being told, and that's what the industry is kind of leading towards, is that you're going to see more and more people just ordering through their apps. So, and Ed and I were talking earlier, the average order, for whatever reason, is larger. What do you yeah. account for that? Um, you know, as a consumer myself, it's just a lot easier when you're sitting there with the menu in front of you, and you can just see, oh, I didn't even know that. Because when you call you're looking for something specific. Like if you know you want a pizza, you're going to say, I want a large pizza. But if you're online and you say, oh, I didn't know they have those appetizers, it, it's neat to see all the options that maybe you weren't even aware of. Some people might not even know we sell pasta. So I think that's probably... Who doesn't know you sell pasta? <laughs> Some people. It's kind of automatic suggestive selling. Yeah. You, know, you, you try to get your employees to suggestively sell products, but they're busy. Yeah. The phone's well, this is what I do know. I know that when I'm at Anemos, like I used to hit the one at Hampton a lot. We'd go to the Checker Dome, catch a game, everybody eat at Emos afterwards, and we'd always have a salad. But, I mean, I can't tell you how many times we're not ordering salads when we're getting it delivered to the house just because we're probably not thinking about it or we're making right. salad on our own or something like that. So I can see. It's yeah. cool. Yeah. All right, so we're talking about the product. I've never heard you answer why the Cracker Crust. Did you give it five? I mean, why was it the cracker crust? Well, we didn't. We just call it thin crust. 
uh, people do refer to it as cr a cracker light crust. That's nothing that we've ever tried to sell. We just, it's a thin crust pizza. And in St. Louis, at the, at the time we opened our locations, if you got a pizza, you got a thin crust pizza. That was the, that was the St. Louis style. Right. And uh, we just, that was what, that was what we enjoyed and that was what we wanted to make. So, so we, we started off making that, uh, mixing our dough in a, in a large bowl. Uh, we'd, we'd go in, my husband would go in, he'd make a couple batches, we'd go home, come back, punch the dough down, <laughs> then come back, make the dough balls right before we rolled our own dough and everything. And it was that thin crust. And that was what we sold. That, that, that seemed to be what people in St. Louis liked. Um, you know, of course, we didn't even know it at the time. We weren't well-traveled or anything. We didn't know in New York that they ate a thicker crust. or We didn't know anything about it. We just knew what we enjoyed and what our customers seemed to like. Did people request the hand toss? Did you have to kind of navigate through? It was many years, oh, many years later, probably 30 years later, when people started saying, oh, we, we want a, a thick crust pizza. And... Because I think because the world just in general became more better traveled, they were aware of, of different types of pizzas, and they they wanted that. So we we really were very reluctant to do it because Emos is known for thin crust, and right. that's that's right. what we sell. But we did reluctantly start selling what we call the thicker crust, <laughs> and so we had that as our answer. It it truly hasn't been very well accepted. I mean, I love pizza in general. And yeah, if I'm going to get Emos, it's going to be because of the thin crust. If yes. I want another kind of crust, I still might get Emos, but I'm not thinking about Emos. Right, right. So there's a little research for you. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> All right. So the Provel cheese, again, why, as opposed to, we'll talk about the ingredients later, but was it easier to get? I mean, Oh, no, no, it was not easier to get. It was once again, the type of pizza we enjoyed right. and what we wanted to sell. And so we, we sold our pizza with Provel cheese. Uh, and that was the type of pizza. That's an Emo's pizza is with that type of cheese. Years later, when people would come in, like when we opened the store that you referred to by the checkered yes, arena, uh, that was the store that would get the most people you know, traveling down 64 highway party at the time uh, people would be maybe from out of town and would stop in our store and they'd say oh well this is different this is where's the mozzarella and we'd say this is for bell this and they say well i'm not so sure i like it well this is what we sell <laughs> this is what we sell this is an emo's pizza. never thought about tinker no no this that that was an emo's pizza what was costa grocery Costa Grocery. Costa Grocery. Yeah, Costa Grocery was, they had the distributorship of Provel Cheese when we uh, first started in business. And uh, my husband, Mr. Costa died, and my husband bought the company. And along with that, the distributorship of Provel Cheese. When you've chosen to add other things to the menu, what's the main thing you're trying to accomplish? Because obviously you don't want people to not be focused on the pizza. So do you go through a process where... It's, it's usually all those decisions are made at customer request. 
Yes. Oh. Yeah, that seemed to be mm -hmm. uh, always what drove our business was uh, we tried to satisfy our customers. Uh, people wanted salads, okay? As I told you initially, we sold pizza, nothing else. Uh, about three months into the business, we started selling canned soda. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> Vess? Yeah. Was it Vess? Uh, no, it was Shasta. Shasta. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, they, that was what we did. Then uh, a little while later, people were saying, oh, it would be nice to have a salad. So we started selling salads. And we, we stayed with the salad and um, pizza and soda for probably the first five years, maybe eight years. Has there ever and been an Emo's location that didn't make it? Uh, we've had, we opened up in Tampa, Florida, and uh, I, the problem wasn't with the customer acceptance, but customers loved us there. It was, we had, we had a very good business. The problem was the distribution, hmm. getting, getting our product the way, we didn't want other products, we wanted our products there, and, but we had, in Tampa, you know, there were, uh, Anheuser-Busch was there. Uh, That's right, because Bush, Bush Gardens. Bush Garden. So there was, there was, we had a built-in audience of St. Louis people, and when we opened there, they were so happy to see us. They had like a Monday night club where all the St. Louis people would come, and they'd meet up. Oh, I remember you from such and such high school or something. <laughs> and uh, so we were well accepted. It was, it was just the problems of uh, trying to. Oversee a place so far away. How'd you come up with the colors? They're, they're Italian colors. Right. It's the Italian flag. It's kind of a no-brainer. See, you don't know this, but I've actually been in your house once or twice. You had a part ownership with KTRS. You still do. And I was selling for KTRS. Uh, Who came up with the cabana in the back? Oh, that's my husband. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's my husband. And how many does that say? My husband, Ed, is the idea man. You still live at the same house? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. that, was, that was a blast. All right, let's go back to the marketing a little bit. 1985, Emo starts the franchise. Are you involved with that? No. How does one decide now is the time to start franchising? Uh, we ran out of friends and family. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great answer, Marge. <laughs> it's, it's the truth. Uh, uh, up until that time, uh, we... As I told you, we opened with our friends Ben and Estelle Stratton. Uh, we we had a good friend Joe Pergali. He wanted he wanted to get into something different. Uh, we had our our uh, Ed's brother uh, John open the store, and you know, we so we went pretty much with friends and family. And then you know after about fifteen locations, you kind of run out of that, and and people are requesting locations. In other parts of St. Charles. Right. St. Charles, we have people in St. Charles that actually signed petitions for us to come out there. Uh, they really wanted Emos there, and uh, I'm really glad we went. <laughs> very nice place to be. Your franchise program, was it modeled after another company that we, you respected? We employed employ a very good lawyer, Lenny Vines, who is a franchise expert, and he guided us with uh, how, how to do franchising. I think I read that there's a period of time where the franchisees were only current franchisees members, and that now you might be looking at more expansion with a new group of folks. Is any of that? No, that's not true. 
Gotcha. Uh, that's um, we, we choose our franchises. People apply. Where mainly our expansion has been from within. Uh, if someone has a is a successful store and decides that they they want a second location or something, that that's pretty much the way we've done. Occasionally, what we'll, we'll have a really good employee who will. You know, they grow up. You know, people grow up. We've been around a long time. And uh, they, they decide they, they want to open the store. We have a lot of stores where people started up working for us in high school, uh, college, maybe married. I'm, I'm thinking specifically of Craig Mueller. Oh, he's he a and, great example. He's a, yeah, he and his wife. Uh, she, was a, she was a counter person. He was pizza maker. They met there. They, they went to college together. She became a nurse. He was, I think, he was an IT guy. And then they said, "We we would like to open an Enos." And he's a very successful franchisee. He has uh, three very Restores. good, three really good locations. I mean, if I'm putting my management hat on, that's got to be great motivation for people to realize when they're 19 and perhaps not with the best work ethic <laughs> that if they you know, enjoy working at Emos and they show themselves to be relevant at some point in time. Maybe they got a shot to be a franchisee. Yeah, the, the only correction I'd make is we do look at people that have good work <laughs> and and when you when you employ young people, it, it's amazing how in, in high school you can usually tell if a person is is going to show up on time, going to follow the rules, and and then then you can keep an eye on them and think, hey, you you you'd be good at this and. Uh, I, I always have this saying that you know, people don't leave emos. They might leave for a while, but eventually they seem to come back. We've had a lot of good people come back. Uh, right now, one of our wonderful uh, in-house attorneys uh, started out as a pizza maker and then eventually became an owner and then decided uh, after, oh gosh, I'm talking about Dante. Yeah. Yeah, Dante was uh, probably an owner for 10 years, mm-hmm. uh, along with his uncle, and then decided he wanted to be uh, an attorney. So he left the business, went to law school. Nice. I ran into him at a, uh, some some event one day, and I said, gosh, Dante, I said, you left. I, I said, you know, it's strange. People always come back to emails eventually. And two weeks later, he was... Uh, doing an internship with us, with our in-house attorney, and now he's full-time with us, and it's wonderful because it's so nice to have somebody who really understands the business. Is the family atmosphere at Emos talked, or is it just omnipresent, meaning that you cannot not be a family when you're running an Emos if you've been to any of the other ones around, or is it something where you're really teaching your employees the importance of how to treat families and have them be welcome to the restaurant. Because that's not the case in all places. I got three of them. I got three kids. There are some places you bring the kids and there are some places you don't. Well, I I, I can't answer. We have 100 locations. It, I know what, what our feeling is, what we want. We want people to come to Emos and know that we enjoy serving them, that we want, we want them to have a nice experience when they come, and we want to welcome their children, their families. That's the future of our business. Yes, uh, we've been in business all these years. If we didn't have young people coming, <laughs> we wouldn't have any business. But uh, 
I hope that's the way it is. Uh, that we, I think we stress that internally. Don't you agree, Nick? Absolutely. I, uh, I, I, that's that's always our goal. I mean, just just within our um, our corporate structure, we we hope that everybody that works for in the corporate office understands that, that we feel that they're part of our family. Our family all works there. Um, you know, in in our corporate offices. We, we hope people know that they're welcome and, and that that then expands down to the franchisees that they too uh, are welcome in their, their customers. You mentioned the 100th store just recently opened by a grandson, correct? Yes, my grandson. See, so you ran out of family the first time. Yeah. Had, wait a while, it's coming back around. Them. Yeah, they just keep going. Yeah. <laughs> How many yeah. grandkids we had, do we have? We have 14 grandchildren and two great-grandchildren. All right, so, so that's total. 32 locations right there, yeah. just two yeah. per. Yes. Well, my, our grandson, Frank Jr., has, uh, he has two locations Funny. now, and he's doing very well. Uh, we have uh, our grandson, I mean, I'm sorry, our, our granddaughter, Jessica, works with the technology, uh, with the online ordering, well, with Nick, and uh, she, she has been wonderful with that. So... And she really cares, you know, it's nice sure. to have people that, it's the family business, you know, um, our, we have a couple of uh, grandchildren that have the stores in Waterloo, um, it's, it's wonderful to see it coming down through the generations. So when I was in Columbia, I was running some radio stations in Columbia and Jeff said, mm -hmm. and in Columbia there was a buffet. And in the Lake of the Ozarks was a buffet. Yes. Which my wallet really appreciated. But we don't have any buffets in St. Louis, just proven to not be effective? Uh, I personally, uh, I'm sorry, I don't like buffets. We have salad. My wife doesn't like them because if she's going to a restaurant, she doesn't want to have to get up and serve herself. Well, I, my, my feeling is that an English pizza is best done, made to order and served. And we, we don't pre-make anything. And maybe market conditions dictate what you have to do in certain markets. Like College Town. Yes. Yeah. And when you talk about Waterloo, that's still where the pizza shells are made and the sauce is made. Is that yes. correct? Yes. And when you move the headquarters to downtown St. Louis, how did that affect things? We kept the, the Waterloo facility, right. um, but we just recently added a, another shell line and um, sauce line as well. And I think eventually we'll add a meat room, but so it just helps. So we have kind of a backup, but Waterloo still does the main, especially on the retail side of things with the frozen pizzas, that's all done out there. Whereas downtown we make shelves for the parlors. So, but, so they just kind of complement each other. It's um, not like we're gonna close Waterloo because now we have downtown. Right. It's just as a backup. And it's, all done, it's all done to make uh, the corporate office help the franchisees become more efficient, deliver quick, quicker when they need deliveries. And, and, and so this is all geared to making it more efficient for the franchisees. So we have our own truck uh, fleet, and so every store um, will have a delivery three times a week. So they're getting that fresh product uh, every single delivery. So when you have a pizza shell, it's been made within a few days. Nice. And when you test it, like Provel Bites, when you're testing that, is there a food kitchen we're doing this at, or how long is the process? Well, we have the parlor next door to the couple. Was it one of the franchisees that was goofing around, and it just slipped into the fryer, and that's how you created it? <laughs> kind of like the toasted ravioli? <laughs> no, that, that came from one of your vendors yeah. giving a proposal 
they they came up with the idea. And, the test, and it was a great one. And the yeah, test marketing great. was Margie Most Grandkids. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> the, the kids, young people They love fell that. in love with it. And in yep. fact, our first campaign, we featured her grandkids. And I came up with a campaign about how they got addicted to the pro bikes. <laughs> yeah, and, and they did. And young people yeah. love What's the uh, number one pizza? Is there one type of pizza? Sausage, bacon? Is there a number one pizza with the topping? You know, pepperoni, is that the number one? Okay, no, pepperoni is not that. I think nationally, pepperoni is the number one. But in St. Louis, it's sausage. What's your favorite? Mine? My favorite is sausage, mushroom, and onion. I think that's a great pizza. And our deluxe pizza, it's just over the top. I think it's wonderful. Fantastic. So again, I like all pizza. But the best cold pizza is probably Emo's. Is oh, it the, absolutely. Is it the, I, I think it's because of the crust and the sauce. Yeah, I think so. And it's just, the but, cheese. But Margie all. taught me a long time ago that if you take out a cold Emo's pizza, you put it on a skillet on low, and put aluminum foil over it, the crust will crisp up like it's brand new. You never microwave. I just eat it cold. <laughs> I'm just saying if you want it warm again, right, right, right. the yeah. crust will crust up crisp. You do that. Oh, yeah. It's, it, it's really, you, you can read. I know what I'm having for breakfast tomorrow. That's wonderful. <laughs> I'll, re- I'll report you back. Can, you can eat it cold, <laughs> but if you want to warm it up, just put it, you have a cast iron skillet or a heavy skillet on a real low flame, and you put it on there, and, and as I said, you put a little bit of ball, put a lid on it, and just let it go about five minutes, and it is. It's like brand new. So yeah. good. Breakfast tomorrow. Yeah. Kids, Provel Bites. All right, Mr. Social Marketing. Explain to the folks out there social marketing as opposed to traditional marketing and how you can target things so specifically and how you can really improve an ROI, return on investment, when you know what you're doing. Sure. As opposed to the days of old when an NI would just throw stuff out there and hope for the best. Yeah. and it's Of course it works. It is a challenge <laughs> these days. Um, the way social media is changing, um, like just Facebook alone, their platform, Five years ago, they would judge your campaign success on how many likes and comments that you right. have. Today, they're going to tell you that's irrelevant. Don't even worry about that. It's how many people are clicking on your ad, going to your site, and then completing an order. So the whole dynamics change. And then now with all these different, you know, for the, the younger people, the uh, the Snapchats, TikToks, it's, there's OTT, uh, over the top. So like YouTube, so when you watch a YouTube video, those... 15-second ads you see before, that's a whole different form of advertising. Uh, so it's just been a, somewhat of a challenge on where do you spend your advertising. So sometimes too much information bogs down the process. Yeah. I love the fact that they can give me all these analytics, and they yeah. can, but at the end of the day, I only want like my key four right. because number 11 is not helping me as much as exactly. time it's taking. Yeah, now we still uh, really appreciate the traditional, so we will always be on TV. Um, but you'll see a little bit more uh, on the social side of things. Um, so it's just figuring out, again, where do you... Just figuring out the ratio yeah. of hot, where to put what, but the combination of digital and TV has proven to be quite successful for you. Yeah. A percent of advertising dollars that go to TV and social? It, I would say it's close to 50-50 now. Okay. When it used to be more... 90-10. Yeah. It's just evolving. Right. It's prob- don't you think, Nick, it's about 50-50 50-50 right about now. When are you going to stop paper couponing? Not too much. Probably, uh, we do some stores on their own. We'll do some mailers, like direct mailers. 
And again, it's, I think it depends on the area um, and the response they get. Some people say it works great for them. Others say I get no response. So it just depends on each location, whether or not they want to spend some of their own advertising dollars on those types of direct mail pieces. Um, but on the corporate side, we do like the social campaigns on Facebook, Instagram, right. things like that. Marge, you still get in the middle of all this, the advertising stuff? Not so much anymore. Good no, for you. No, 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 no. <laughs> I believe that's a well-earned uh, sabbatical. Yes, yes. No, no, I don't. No. Did you ever like it? Did you like it? Oh, I loved it. What did you like about it? I, I loved working with Ed. I Thank worked you. with Ed for a long time. And uh, we... We had fun. We, we had a good time, you know. Uh, th that's been the thing of my career with emails. Uh, I've always enjoyed it. Uh, uh, when I mean, I pizza's was, a fun product. Pizza's a fun, I, I always tell people that. Well, I worked in the stores for many, many years, and I always would tell people, like, when maybe the next day I'd be interviewing somebody for a franchise, and, and I would say, you know, you have to understand that when people are buying a pizza, that's a happy occasion. You know, it, it, have people work all week. You never and, break you know, up and then go get a pizza. No, no. <laughs> it's a happy occasion. And you want people to enjoy the time that they're doing that. And and you can enjoy people's pleasure mm -hmm. in, in having a good meal and everything. A smile on their face. And uh, it's 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 a wonderful thing. Correct me if I'm wrong. Emo's never did the 30-minute guaranteed delivery. No. no. Good for you. And you had the hindsight or the foresight. And how ironic that the company, which is created because of the need for delivery, stays with, look, we're not putting, I don't know if you really thought you were going to put your employees at risk. That's what we ended up finding out. But tell me why you on you had, you had to think about it. Your competition was doing it. It was everywhere. I was there. I remember. How come you never did 30-minute guarantee? Just for the reasons you said, safety for one. And, and, and the effectiveness, you want your product to be good. If you're, if you're real busy, you cannot guarantee that somebody's going to get that product in 30 minutes. Maybe it'll take 45 minutes. Maybe it'll take an hour. So you try to be upfront with your customer and say, no, I'm sorry, we can't get it there in that amount of time. And uh, I think safety of the drivers was the first thing, uh, probably. But more important, even as important, was the quality of the product. You'd have to pre-make something gotcha. to, to guarantee. How long does a pizza take, Nick, off the conveyor belt? Off the belt itself, about seven and a half minutes. From when you first put it in to when it comes out. And how many pizzas are we doing in a week? A week? <laughs> uh, probably no better than that. I don't really know. It's changed, yeah, it, but it does change. But uh, I read somewhere five million pizzas in a year. Is that ballpark? That sounds close. Yeah. And Twenty-five thousand pounds of Provel. We purchase oh. year no yearly. We purchase about three million pounds. <laughs> Three and a half million. Marge is looking at me like. And, uh, about, on average, 944 pound blocks a week to for the frozen pizzas, and then we shred it ourselves, and that goes in uh, five pound bags, and those go to the parlors. So, um, yeah, we bring in quite a bit of Provo. Any location, probably just because of the geography, but is there, any, is there one location which is doing the most business right now? We have some top, top stores, I, I think. Uh, there's always been a consistent eight or ten top stores. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and it has, it's a combination of location and management. See, and he just said Hampton. So when the Checker Dome closed, business didn't drop a little bit? 
No. That's, that, that's, that's unbelievable. I would have lost that bet a hundred times. No, well, that, if, if you talk about the rain at Chapadome, those are specific times. You can't just base your business on, on a hockey game or, or a circus or something. You know, you have to consistently have business. We, uh, we do real, you know, we have the zoo, our wonderful zoo. We have the science center. We have the neighborhoods. Yeah, you go by there any lunchtime, it's crowded, too. Yeah. I mean, my brother, his first house was in Dogtown. And so we walk. We could go walk over there, grab sure. something, take it back. Thank you guys so much for your time. A couple more questions. We wanted to ask you about the Variety Club. Oh, yeah. And your involvement with that and where that all came from. I'll shut up and you just tell me what you want me to know. Okay. Uh, Variety Club, that, that was an interesting. We had a, uh, a franchisee who who knew Jan Albus, who was the head of Variety at the time. And uh, he was working with her, and he said, I think uh, we, we could maybe do something like we could do a lunch for kids or something. And so we it, it kind of grew from that. You know, we, we got involved with them, trying to, trying to think of ways that we could raise money for the, for the Variety children. And then we got to know a lot of the Variety families, uh, we would have them out to our house for meetings and things, and uh, we just fell in love with the whole concept. Bright is wonderful. They they do such a wonderful job for so many children. They ask for nothing in return, and uh, it's it's a wonderful, wonderful charity that we we're real happy to be involved with. And so we we kind of made that our main charity. You know, we, we Emos has always tried to support a lot of different. It's part, of, organizations. Uh, it's part yeah. of giving back to the community. They're very grateful how uh, St. Louis has accepted them, and they like to give back. Absolutely. That's exactly right. I mean, I saw something that the reason that you chose the location downtown was because you wanted to give back to the city or keep giving to the city. We like being involved with the city. St. Louis has been very, very good to the family. We, we like supporting St. Louis. We wouldn't want to go someplace else. I mean, we, we love the east side, too. You know, the um, Waterloo's been wonderful for us. We had some wonderful employees there. It just helped also with the trucking, um, being centrally <coughs> located downtown. So when all the routes start in the morning, you know, they load up the trucks to have to start from downtown. It's made it a little bit easier and faster because when you're starting in Waterloo, you have a good 40 minutes on the road before you can get to your first stop. Whereas okay. downtown, it's a little Somebody easier. did the math. Yeah, somebody <laughs> did some math and... Uh, Save some gas money now. And Marge, in addition to the Variety Club, like that wouldn't already be enough. You've got other projects that you're involved with. Yes, we do. There's uh, there, there's such a need out there. And St. Louis has just been so good to the Emo family and everything. So we do try to support other projects. For many years, we uh, we did a Walk for Hunger we, uh, to benefit the Food Pantry Association. Uh, that was a lot of fun. I mean, we raised a lot of money for, you know, you think, oh, we're making our money in food. Nobody in St. Louis should be hungry. So <laughs> we really tried to help that. Uh, Forest Park Forever, I, I think Forest Park benefits everybody, everybody in St. Louis. You know, it doesn't cost a dime to go to Forest Park. And it drives, so we're happy to support Forest Park Forever, uh, the zoo. Okay. Yeah, so, yeah. You know, I'm not a world traveler, but when I was in radio, you moved around a lot. And people, they don't just get the zoo and how special. I remember I went to a zoo in Chicago. It was on one of the suburbs. You had to pay for everything. You had to pay to get in. 
And then he had to pay to see the monkeys. Then he had, I mean, you couldn't, it's like if you wanted to open your eyes, it was five bucks. And people don't get, you go down to the zoo and it's as you could spend the entire day there. It's fantastic. St. Louis has so much to offer. Uh, The science center, the the zoo, the yeah, the city museum. Yeah. Oh my goodness, you do have to pay to go to the city yeah, museum, but it's so well worth it. It's it's yeah. just such an experience, and uh, the botanical gardens. What there again? You can just walk into the botanical gardens at certain times for mm-hmm. nothing, and see a world class. Okay, so so we 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 try to support all those things. Um, recently, I'm a big right? fan of the fox. Oh, the boxes. And that's not totally unique. There's cities that have those kind of places that were built. But, I mean, there's nothing else that looks like the Fox. No, no, no. We're we're fortunate to have that. But um, I I, I did want to bring up, in addition to um, uh, those charities that we were involved in, the last five or four or five years, uh, Mm -hmm. they've been in... um, Emos Carpet's been involved in uh, Habitat for Humanity every year. Um, go out and employees out. actually yeah. help build the house. Yeah, employees and actually some of our, our people we work, our vendors, vendors we work with, they get involved. So our insurance people, yeah. they they say, yeah, we want to be part of that. And uh, Habitat's a wonderful thing too. Um, we have some people that are very very passionate about their animals, so we do <laughs> we do sports dairy rescue, and uh, we 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 do try to give back to the community. And when she says we, an exclamation point on the variety portion is the franchisees, not the corporate office, has given back over the past 20 years uh, over $2 million wow. to the variety through this Emos for Kids thing. So, and it's hard to pick, to not pick one, you know what I'm saying? And, and each individual franchisees, do, they do things on their own all the time in their own little community, sponsor baseball teams, sure. church teams. So there's a culture. I got some old shirts with your logo on my back. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> so there's a culture of giving back that the corporate office has has taught to the franchisees. Uh, Nick, give me a snapshot. Ten years from now, Emos, stay the course. That's that's the best thing we can do. going to do something else that people sky's should the keep limit. their eye out for. The sky's the limit. I mean, we're here only in St. Louis. I'd like to see us expand to other cities. I know we've had some very serious requests from, like, Vegas uh, a couple of people in Los Angeles, and then we know from Florida. Right. Uh, I think having one in Jupiter for spring training would be incredible. That'd be hysterical. I know. Right. Yeah, because you've got the built-in. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So we have some markets in mind. I mean, also based upon the data we know from where we've shipped our packages to all fifty states, there's quite a few states that are most popular. That okay. What's the well. state most most pizzas get sent to? Uh, so the top five are Texas. California, Denver, Denver, Denver. Colorado, yep, and Florida. I, I think I know guys participating in those, some of those. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's incredible to see how many people, how many packages. But Austin, Texas specifically, I think, whenever in the numbers class, that have the most packages delivered to it. So Well, that's part of the expansion thinking yeah. and the capabilities of what they're doing downtown so that you can have a, perhaps a super franchise open up 10, 12 stores, let's say in a Kansas City or a Memphis they could do that in the past. Now they're gearing up to do that. Kansas City. You're not already in Kansas City? Yes, we're in okay. Kansas City. Because my dad... I'm not a super franchisee, so you, understand. you have to have a base of at least 10, 12 stores so you can market. One store would be having a difficult time marketing. Absolutely. 
All right, last question. This is for Marge. I have seen it. It is spectacular. Explain to me, and I hope I pronounce it correctly. It's the Piazza Emos? Piazza Emos. Thank you. Yes. Walk me through where this came from. Well, uh, we, we have friends in the Italian communities. That, in fact, San Ambrose is our parish, and uh, we, we have a lot of friends there. And, and one, one in particular, Bill Priscilla, came up with the idea of a piazza with a beautiful fountain, uh, a place to for people to gather. And it happened right across the street from our church was was a, a lot forever, just a wooden fence on it. And uh, we had a meeting one day, uh, and Monsignor uh, Bomarito and uh, Bill Priscilla and some other Italian folks, uh, they, they invited Ed and I to come to this meeting and they said, we'd like to do this piazza, but, and Ed said, well, why don't we do it? And he said, well, nobody wants to buy the property. So Ed said, well, I'll buy the property. So he bought the property and he donated it. Ed be the man. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, they said, well, we're going to name this Piazza Emo, which we appreciated. We thought that was very nice of them. And the community um, who has been supportive of that. I mean, if you've never seen one before up close, yes. you know, I think, you know, 1960 movies, I'm thinking, um, three coins in a pot. Yeah, three that kind of stuff. Yeah. But it, I mean, if you haven't seen it, you got to go, I mean, the next time you're eating mm-hmm. at the Hill or the next time you got an afternoon to kill and it's a gorgeous 64 degrees, check it out. This, this past Sunday, because the weather was nice, even though the, the fountain isn't on because we had to close the fountain off for the winter. But, you know, just because you don't want ice and more people slipping and everything. But people still went there. And uh, it's, it's a nice place to gather. And uh, who, who made it? Who sculpted it? Did it? Built well, it? Uh, Bill Frisella ordered the, uh, the fountain from Italy. And uh, it's, it's a beautiful marble fountain. And then uh, different craftsmen in St. Louis um, did different parts of it. Ed, Ed decided, in addition to donating it, he wanted, he said, I want the gate to it to be beautiful, so we donated the gate. And our good friend, uh, this wonderful artist, Claude Breckwald, he's from South Africa, but he makes his home in St. Louis now. He designed the gate. It is just spectacular. The gate and the fountain just are just the showpieces of, of the piazza. So when if you happen to be at St. Ambrose, you don't have to be a Catholic to enjoy this. <laughs> I mean, if, but if you... It's free if you're Catholic. It's, yeah, <laughs> it's free for everybody. It's truly, uh, Ed and I like to think of the Piazza as our gift back to say. Like you didn't already do now. Well, it's... The people in St. Louis continue to be very kind to emails and uh, very supportive of us, and we're very, very appreciative of it. Uh, our families all made nice livings from... Our, our business and, and we're very grateful for that. Ed and Nick, thanks for showing up. Thank you. Marge, hope you had a good time. I did, I did. I'm always happy to talk about you guys. And there you have it. Another one for the books. Want to thank everybody for their likes and sharing on Facebook. If you have any comments, suggestions on future episodes, the email is otwitholiver at gmail.com. And the texting club is up. What you want to do is you want to text OT with Oliver to the phone number 57838, 57838. 
get a chance to win a gift card and stay in the know, future episodes and such. Won't send out a lot of texts, but it's an easy way for everybody to communicate on their phone. Next week, Jackie Smith. It's going to be a great one, as we do. Thanks for your time this time. Till next time, so long.